Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadabi, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 47th meeting of Spew to order. Finally finished with all of the children's. Yeah, you got like a you got a little break this weekend, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. It... Did you like it, or are you just bored? <laughs> what the break or the children's? The break. Oh, it it is kind of boring. I kind of prefer the children's. No. Oh. You know, like once or twice a week, and then they go away, one hour at a time. Yeah, controlled They're artsy amounts. children. Artsy children are quiet and pay attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense. All right. Birthdays for the second half of the month. August 18th, Celestina Warbeck. August 19th, Tina Goldstein. August 22nd, Percy Weasley. Percy Ignatius Weasley. August 26th, Dolores Jane Umbridge. And sometime in late August is Dumbledore's birthday. Happy birthday. And August 24th is when Nagini eats Frank. I guess this is an odd time to mention that my birthday is August 23rd. <laughs> oh. So what are we talking about today? We are going to finish our take on the Deathly Hallows. Yes! Last several chapters here, starting with Battle of Hogwarts. And the first note I have here is McGonagall saying... To use the common phrase, done a bunk. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's not a common phrase in the U.S. I almost put the same note because I remember reading that as a kid and being like, what does that even mean? I mean, context clues led me to the solution, but... <laughs> Using context clues, it was pretty obvious what it meant, but I still looked it up and it literally just means to leave without warning. <laughs> okay. See, and my note was, um, <laughs> Potter, aren't you supposed to be looking for something? <laughs> Harry just completely forgetting the mission at hand <laughs> momentarily, yes. like the entire mission. <laughs> Whenever I have a thing to do, I tend to forget what I'm doing three, four times before I finish it. Ma- mainly, um, laundry. I-, I-, I think this mainly just applies to laundry. <laughs> And then I had a note about just the fact that all of the Weasleys were just sitting at the Gryffindor table. Well, they were all Gryffindors. It just made me happy. All of these random adults just can come in, sit at the table, waiting for instructions. But they sit at their house table. They don't just sit randomly. Old habits die hard. And then I have a Hagrid quote. Told him to let me down at the castle, so he shoved me right through a window. Bless him. Country Hagrid makes me a little uncomfortable. The fact that it says bless him just 
I, I couldn't help but include it. Just it. makes it perfect. <laughs> yeah, dog. A good Hagrid quote. <laughs> the owls were everywhere, and Mrs. Norris was hissing and trying to bat them with her paws, no doubt to return them to their proper place. Miss <laughs> Norris wants order. It, it just really makes me wonder, are they fighting the same battle, or are they just fighting their own battle? I would have to say their own. Because otherwise we'd have to make Mrs. Norris pick a side, and I don't think she cares. Exactly. I just don't think she cares. <laughs> Cats. Conversation with Harry and Neville's gran. Have you seen my grandson? He's fighting, said Harry. Naturally, said the old lady proudly. Excuse me, I must go assist him. With surprising speed, she trotted off towards the stone steps. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's taken her the course of the entire books to actually be proud of Neville, but it does happen. But she's also a wonderful, goofy old lady. Then my, my quotes weren't really alluding so much to autism, but more anxiety. And that's, for me, that's pretty much the theme of the book throughout the rest of the time, is just stress, panic, anxiety, war, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> so I put, fear and panic were clouding his thought process. He tried to calm himself to concentrate, but his thoughts buzzed frantically and fruitlessly as wasps trapped beneath a glass. This is when he was trying to find the diadem and figure out who he needed to talk to and what he needed to do. And he just, I just relate so much trying to calm your thought process and think rationally, but it's just, it's not working. Yes. <laughs> yes. Harry does a whole lot of problem solving and piecing puzzles together, but these are like, the solutions he comes up with are like when I'm playing a puzzle game and then I'm just like, I'm going to try this stupid thing, and then it just works, and you're like, why is that the thing that worked? Yeah, like, I don't understand how this puzzle piece fits, but I guess it'll work. They're just random guesses that just happen to be correct. And But he understands them. He's like, yes, this makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense to nobody except you and maybe Dumbledore. And he had not meant to shout, but anger and panic were threatening to overwhelm him. Yes. Yep. Next chapter, The Elder Wand. Voldemort dropped his gaze once more to the wand in his fingers. It troubled him, and those things that troubled Voldemort needed to be rearranged. <laughs> the wording of this is what I like so much. Things that are problematic need to be rearranged and taken into your own hands sometimes. I don't agree with the murder of Snape for this rearrangement, but... I do agree with this sentiment. <laughs> Under normal circumstances. <laughs> then with a bright white flash and a crack, a crystal ball fell on top of his head and he crumpled to the ground and did not move. I have more, shrieked Professor Trelawney from over the banisters. More for any who want them. Here. And with a movement like a tennis serve, she heaved another enormous crystal sphere from her bag. It's funny that you put this, because I, when I read this, if the rest of that sentence is she heaved another enormous crystal sphere from her bag and out the window. Why did she serve it out the window? <laughs> I'm sure she's aiming at something. <laughs> I just love this turnaround in her where she goes from being this very passive, quiet to herself, doom, doom, doom. <laughs> to all of a sudden 
being able to toss these very heavy balls and become a mad woman. I think the madness was always there. <laughs> this just gave him an excuse to really come out. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just wrote down the word Hogwartians because mm -hmm. it's a word she uses here. I didn't see it, but I believe you. <laughs> and then my favorite part is, of course, you know, uh, Seamus, Luna, and Ernie just coming out of the darkness and helping the trio cast Patronuses. And Luna's just like, come on, Harry, think of something happy. <laughs> we love Luna. And then moving on to the prince's tale. To escape into someone else's head would be a blessed relief. Nothing that even Snape had left him could be worse than his own thoughts. I put the exact same quote. <laughs> it's a it's a interesting idea. I, I I'm I'm not sure I agree with it, but it's it's an interesting idea. Well, I think at this point in time where Harry is, you know, just seeing all the people that had died from the battle, we know Harry, he's feeling some immense guilt. And blaming himself. So I'm sure that he thought that Snape's mind would probably be an easier place to... Yeah. But then, <laughs> you know, gets all the horrible... He gets the truth, at least. Yeah. Next quote I have here is from... Right after Snape tells Lily that she's a witch. And it says, Snape had been planning this moment for a while. And it had gone all wrong. I tend to overplan things, and they never go the way they plan in my head. Mm, same. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a Petunia quote, because Petunia, seeing her bounce back and forth from... Abs I guess the best way to describe Petunia's relationship is she absolutely resents her sister for being special. Mm-hmm. Gets special treatment. And yeah, so... That's where you're going, said Petunia with relish. A special school for freaks. You and that Snape boy. Weirdos. That's what you two are. It's good you're being separated from normal people. It's for our safety. Hurtful. This one, this, this hurt. Hurtful. It's, it's very, I, I don't really know how to feel about it, but it, it just makes me very sad. Yeah, I agree. And Lily calls Snape Sev, and it's really gross, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's nasty. I... So tell me, Quirinus, mm. when you first read this chapter, mm -hmm. how did you feel after you found out the truth about Snape the first time? Um, it made the last... It, it made Half-Blood Prince make sense. I always felt that Snape killing Dumbledore felt out of character mm -hmm. and so this kind of you know fixed that mm -hmm. I, I still thought it was creepy how stalkery he was though yeah the first time I read this I was like oh okay this explains everything but I was also like a child right there was that short amount of time of going oh yeah this explains everything and then you go back and you think about it and you're like no, he was just a jerk the whole time. Yeah. And to me, now as an adult, this chapter doesn't, well, let me rephrase. Snape's love for Lily doesn't redeem him at all. Not to me. He has other actions that redeem him slightly. 
and still keep him in the gray area. But just purely because he loved Lily? Mm-mm. I'm not buying it. Yeah, this kind of moves him back into the gray area. Right. Maybe slightly above the gray area because we know for sure he was working for Dumbledore the whole time. But not very high in that gray area. Yeah. And well, speaking of that, when, when he's talking to Dumbledore trying to get him to protect Lily, Dumbledore says, You disgust me. And Harry had never heard so much contempt in his voice. And I, this was my note on that. Actually, I think, I mean, Dumbledore was completely right in his contempt and disgust for Snape. But Dumbledore also saw that and used Snape's, Snape's shame and exploited him from this moment on. Exploited and manipulated him from this moment on. Yes. Because this is also the chapter where Dumbledore moves from, because throughout the book, Dumbledore kind of moves into that gray area where mm -hmm. you're like, maybe he's not as great as we thought he was, but he still had good meaning. But then when you read this chapter, kind of pushes him just into that slightly darker area. Yeah. <laughs> slightly darker shade of gray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Death is coming for me as surely as the Chudley Cannons will finish the bottom of this year's league. It's a Dumbledore quote. Chudley Cannons are always fun when they get mentioned. <laughs> you want a trivia question? Sure. Now's a good time. <laughs> now is a great time because we talked about the Chudley Cannons. Okay. So my question is... What team did Ginny play on, and what was her position? This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. All right, Lavender. Oh. oh, if you had not asked me. Wait, she was keeper on the Holyhead Harpies? I don't think she was Seeker, but I could be wrong. She was Chaser. Aw, oh, dang it. <laughs> Alright, the forest again. The forest again. The first sentence is finally the truth. It's the first sentence of this chapter, and I think that that sums it up nicely. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've waited so long to just finally figure out the end game here. <laughs> and we finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so sad. Um, this chapter, the only real thing I got here is how neat, how elegant, not to waste any more lives, but to give the dangerous task to the boy who had already been marked for slaughter, and whose death would not be a calamity, but another blow against Voldemort. <sighs> this was Harry, you know, still kind of taking in what he just learned and recontextualizing it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I really hate how he how he did it. <laughs> I mean, it's just heartbreaking. It's the only way to put it. <laughs> I hate Harry's thought process of trying to, like, rationalize it and, mm. you know, make it all make sense. But it does make sense? But it does make sense. <laughs> but his just, you know, his rationalizing of it, it's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know, 17 years old. <laughs> and here's a, a, a description of Sirius. He loped with an easy grace, his hands in his pockets, and a grin on his face. <laughs> I love these rhyming lines. I don't know if they're intentional or not, but they make me happy. <laughs> they are quite sweet. 
This is one of the chapters that hits me differently every time I read it. Nah. This time through, I kind of noticed it never really is confirmed what the weird crying baby thing under the benches is, is it? No, not really. It's left up, you know, to interpretation. Because my understanding of it is definitely, like, I, I'd always just kind of thought, oh, it was like the piece of Voldemort's soul. But then rereading this, it's like, no, because that already left. It's not there anymore. So what is this? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. No, like, and I, I've never known what she was alluding to with the baby thing. Yeah. Except maybe reincarnation. I, th- I don't know. <laughs> also, I, because I, you're left with that the question at the end of this chapter about whether or not this is actually real or if it's just entirely in his head or both. But the fact that Dumbledore's nose is still broken, I guess confirms that it's all in Harry's head. But maybe Dumbledore chose to keep his nose broken in death. I feel like he would have chosen to keep his nose like that. He felt like he deserved it. Yes. Anyway, the longer he looked the more there was to see. This is just a true philosophy about life. <laughs> the longer you look, the more there is to see. Good point. Also, I just have this. Harry had no idea what this meant. Dumbledore was being infuriating. <laughs> Dumbledore no different in death. <laughs> mm-hmm. The, the quote was actually, you know, Dumbledore was being infuriating. Explain. Harry says, and I, that's, that was exactly how I felt like, okay, you're not making any sense, old man, and I have literally died to get here and get these answers. The least you could do is at least explain and be up front. None of this mamby-pamby stuff. Just tell me. <laughs> and Dumbledore was being infuriating just kind of sums up the whole series. Yes, yes. I hate this chapter. Dumbledore is just making it all up. He has no idea. He is just guessing. Playing with people's lives. There is no reason this should work. Harry should be dead. Like, after reading the prophecy in the fifth book, I was positive. Like, the first time I read it, I was positive that Harry was going to die and Neville was going to kill Voldemort. And then, like, from reading the end of the fifth book to this chapter, I was confident that's what was going to happen. And then this nonsense happens. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, this is more of a comment about the last chapter, but the fact that Harry goes to do this and, you know, thinks that this is what's going to win the war. but the, And the fact that he doesn't, because he doesn't explain what the plan is to anyone, he wouldn't have died a hero exactly, I, I wouldn't think. Because no one knows that that there was a specific reason for him to do this. Mm, no. It felt like there was a lot of loose ends. Well, of course. <laughs> and then we get to the flaw in the plan, which, man, there's a lot of stuff happening in this fairly short chapter. More so than the Battle of Hogwarts. And I kind of conflated these two chapters and forgot how much of it happened here and not during the actual battle. It was Bellatrix's voice, and she spoke as if to a lover. See, Cursed Child is canon. Just talking about that with Papa Bear. <laughs> I was trying to explain it to him. No, I refuse. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I had for that note. I, I just saw that, and I'm like, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that probably when the author was presented with uh, the... Cursed Child script. 
And they were like, you know, we really want this to be canon. Like, this is maybe the one, the one detail that would make it canon. That it would potentially even make it canon. Then I have this fun quote. The scream was the more terrible because he had never expected or dreamed that Professor McGonagall could make such a sound. I'm so glad you put this quote in here. So th- this is McGonagall finding out that Harry is in fact dead. Mm-hmm. It says McGonagall so takes sides even though she pretends that she doesn't. I mean, she was on Harry's side from the beginning. True. True. Even more so than I would, than Dumbledore, I would venture to say, or, you know. Yes. Because she was the only one that was advocating, like, look, these Dursleys are terrible people. I've been watching them all day. They're terrible. (laughs) True, true. She, but, you know, and she also broke rules to make Harry a seeker and bought him a new broom, even though there are school issue brooms. And, like, she breaks a lot of rules and, and goes against the grain but kind of also is a very strict teacher who follows the rules she just does her rule breaking discreetly and with class (laughs) yes i really don't have any quotes for this because in in this in this point of the book like i can't see because my eyes are so teary and it's hard to get quotes and i'm just trying to make it through at this point (laughs) but then harry starts monologuing and is just making it all up and is just guessing, and the fact that any of it ends up appearing to be true is baffling. Well, you know what, though? This is much more preferable than the movie ending, so <laughs> whatever. They just had to use the uh, Priori and Contandum files again. <laughs> when the wands meet and the, the drippy goo stuff comes down. Apparently that took like a ton of processing power. So they just kept reusing the same simulation. Oh, is that why? Because they use it again when Voldemort and Dumbledore are dueling, which doesn't really make any sense. Okay. Well, the movie ending fell flat. We all know that. Much prefer the book ending. But yeah, it's still But weird. But what's interesting about that is that the book ending, Voldemort falls flat. Like, they, they made the ending in the movie too exciting, <laughs> which kind of ruined the point. Kind of ruined the whole point. <laughs> Voldemort was just a man and died a normal, natural human death and had a body afterwards. <laughs> and the, then I have this quote, though, from Harry. He says... Think and try for some remorse, Riddle. And Voldemort just says, what is this? <laughs> what is this magic? <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> when, when I read this, I'm going, this is, it's a little late for this tactic. You've already destroyed all the Horcruxes. The, the, the whole... Well, he's got to really drive the point home. The, the whole point of trying to get him to show remorse was that was the only other way to destroy the Horcruxes. <laughs> I kind of like sassy Harry running around telling Voldemort about himself, though. (laughs) Like, this is where you screwed up. This is where you screwed up. Blah, blah, blah. And he's making sure that, you know, everybody that's left in the castle is gathered around so they can hear it. (laughs) And he makes sure to use his real name multiple times. And he calls him Tom. He calls him Riddle. He calls him Riddle a lot. But, and I found that as a nice contrast to the battle with Dumbledore, where Dumbledore just keeps calling him Tom. Anyway, that's all I got. I don't have any notes on the epilogue. No. (laughs) I do like how it's written, where it doesn't 
explicitly state anything. It's just like the rest of the books where, like, someone talks, and then it tells you their name, and then you know who they are. (laughs) Now, as far as overall thoughts on the series, though, back in the early books, my... The thing that I kept pulling was this idea of kind of the obliviousness of the world around you. Mm -hmm. But then in the later books, it kind of shifted and the reoccurring theme became Harry trying to convince everyone that everything he did was pure luck and accident. And he could really only achieve it through his friends and luck and accident. And everyone else is being absolutely convinced that he's superior for whatever reason and the chosen one this book just flips (laughs) all of that where it very much is Voldemort is the oblivious one he is completely clueless to the world around him if it does not apply directly to him and (laughs) Harry takes that and uses that and uses the luck Rather than just like, well, he just lucked into it, he accepts that he lucked into it and uses that and uses his friends in order to complete the mission. But very much take your strengths and use them and take your enemy's weaknesses and use them against them. But they were all Harry's weaknesses in the past. Hmm, Good summary. Yes. Nicely said. All right. You have anything else to add? I do not. Not at this time. All right. Well, we're going to be heading back to our once-a-month format for a little bit, now that we've finished this book. Uh, If you would like to join our conversation, you can always send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a howler by clicking the link in the description, sending us a voice memo to that email, or in the U.S., you can give us a call at 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739. You can also follow us on Twitter at Spectrum People. We're on Facebook.com at Facebook.com slash SpewCast. We're on Instagram at SpewPod. And we're also on TikTok at SpewCast. And we would like to thank Joan Burr for our theme music. And until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye.